0: this is knowing god with heart and mind i'm bethany and i'm here with my i think usually it's supposed to be beautiful but i'll go with my bald and awesome father hello dan pastor dan and he told me i should intro today so you're getting a little different flavor
1: yeah it's really cool too so (laughs) thanks for thanks for doing that beth this is knowing god with heart and mind that is uh the virtual church classroom at Shiloh, and uh, Shiloh's in Jasper, Indiana, and and is an awesome congregation of mm-hmm. worshipers who, who worship God because they just can't help it. And uh, that, that really is what we're all about at Shiloh. And you know, uh, I'm recording this right now with Bethany on Friday, March 13th.
0: Friday and the thirteenth. Friday dun, the thirteenth,
1: and you know the coronavirus is causing things to close down everywhere, and we're all just sort of. It you is know. making
0: for a dramatic weekend because I was joking the other day about how Sunday is the Ides of March too. Like mm-hmm. we're we we are having an exciting mid-March.
1: Yeah. you know the approach that we're taking on this too is uh that that's all the more reason to have things like the virtual church classroom definitely you know we we do this because you can't always go to church
0: and staying connected is really important
1: and and you know uh shiloh for those of you who aren't familiar with it is is a a, what i would say a moderately sized church it's not small by any means we have a large building it's very sprawling if you google us you'll see that it covers a lot of of territory on the ground and and yet our our worship experiences probably draw around 300 or so people a week but they're spread across two different services so you know we've got room to be about twice the size that we are but through you know a variety of historical things uh the church was on the decline for a while and then church in general is on the decline i mean people are not at all sure that church is of any particular use to them. And that's one of the reasons we do things like this podcast is to say, if you knew that people in church were talking about interesting things like Mm -hmm. this, would you consider it more valuable in your life? And so th- that's our whole premise, you know? And and what I'm saying is, is now with the coronavirus scares and all this, it's like, you know, we've got plenty of room for you and you can still keep a safe distance yep. with the person next to you. Yep. And, the uh, good news is
0: podcasts a, don't transmit any germs. That's right.
1: You can't catch anything by <laughs> listening to this except more intellectual power. Yeah because knowing God with heart and mind is maybe
0: a crook in your neck from shaking your head at the dumb things we say.
1: That's true. But the whole premise of knowing God with heart and mind is that as, as Christian believers, as uh, people who observe uh, a Wesleyan tradition, but I still think I'm more of a Lewisian than a Mm -hmm. Wesleyan is, is that you would be a thinking person of faith, which Mm -hmm. means faith gives you the way to deal with the things that you can't fully think through because it takes faith to get there. And yet there's so much that you can think through and then you realize that your faith is informed that. And so it's just, that's the whole premise of this thing. And, and that we hope is catching. Mm -hmm. That's the one contagious thing that we do offer on this program is the, the uh, critical thinking. We want you to catch that. So all that being said, we are presently doing CS Lewis's book, the great divorce, which is really more of a short story and
0: um yeah i would call it a novella yeah
1: yeah and this would be episode three and it is uh chapter two basically is what we're going to talk about today bethany and uh we've uh we most of you unless you listen real time and you've been waiting for us to put one of these episodes up you you wouldn't know that there's been about a 3 week gap between yeah. episodes because well life's been happening to Life us has
0: really happened yeah
1: and uh but we're trying to read you know kind of reorient ourselves uh to the book because we have both read it a couple of times and know the story but where we left off in our last, our last podcast was basically giving you an introduction to the book and the premise, and then discussing a little bit about the gray town and the bus stop. Mm-hmm. And so now we're on the bus, and, yes. and the bus is leaving the gray town behind and headed to heaven. Mm-hmm. So as the bus is en route to this unknown but presumably better destination we're going to learn a little bit more about the gray town and we're going to learn about the passengers on the bus. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, it's interesting because not all of the passengers on the bus going to heaven are actually there for the right reasons. So the fact that the bus ride is as much a part of the story as the destination is why we need to spend some time on it. Yep. And, uh, I don't think Lewis meant this to be a, uh, Uh, a type of the church but as a pastor of a local church i think the bus is a really good analogy for a lot of the people i see in the pews in all these 25 years of ministry i've seen a lot of people in the pews who look like the people sitting in the seats of this bus Mm -hmm. so yeah with that in mind um there's a quote that i want us to look at it's the from chapter two, the trouble is they have no needs. That's the people from the gray town. Mm-hmm. You get everything you want, though it's not a very good quality, by just imagining it. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of people they are. And um, the first person we meet is a tousle-haired poet.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, Bethany, what does a tousle-haired mean anyway? Well, I'm In
0: America-speak, it just means that your hair's messed up. Right, okay. He just has his hair tossed about. I see. It's not styled and quiffed.
1: Although, these days I see a lot of people who have carefully arranged Tossled their, their hair, hair to look like that. <laughs> which is sort of ironic, isn't it?
0: Yes. Okay.
1: See, when I had hair, it was curly and and difficult to manage. And I never thought of myself as tousled haired but you know i i got the last word though i
0: don't know this tassel-haired poet he might arrange his hair to look tasseled
1: <laughs> he gives that
0: he gives you that vibe yeah
1: so what's this young man's sin and what do you think he's expecting to find when he gets to heaven
0: so my i think the best way to explain him is how lewis describes him as being singular, singularly ill-used he appears to be singularly ill-used. And that's pretty much what you learn about this kid: is. Because I do think he's a young man. Mm-hmm. Um, this, like, no one treats him well. Like, he didn't feel like his parents cared about him. And he went to, like, a bunch of different colleges, and none of them were up to his standards. Yeah. So they mistreated him. And, and Poor so, me. like, he. He, he goes to America and meets a gal, but she doesn't treat him well either. And so, yeah, he's just majorly got a chip on his shoulder. Um, There's a lot of pity. Yeah. Self-pity for, because he doesn't think that anybody appreciates how great he is. So there's some arrogance too. Like he so, is very full of himself. He so thinks what he's, he's
1: expecting them when he gets to heaven is that he'll finally, that they're
0: finally going to be like, Oh, okay. But when he gets to the gray town, he's because, and that's what he tells, um, Lewis. It's
1: Jack. Yeah. yeah. He's,
0: um, he tells him that in the gray town, he, he saw how like all these other people were, they just didn't get it. Yeah. And, yeah. and so he thinks that once he gets to heaven, everybody's going to appreciate how great he is and,
1: do you yeah, remember he's... do you remember a certain professor in one of our churches that came off like that
0: yeah
1: you know um seemed like seemed like he delighted in being the smartest man in the church and mm-hmm. that was why he didn't go to a church where there were a lot of other people as well educated as him mm-hmm. um I don't know that he meant to come across that way, but that's how a lot of his you know, because I will say that what I knew about him was that in his heart, he was one of the finest people and a very good person mm-hmm. with a very good soul, but he just often came across as, yeah, you know, arrogant, arrogant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, because he was the, he was the best educated person in the room and, and it was kind of like, well, you know, if you find all of these people so inferior and difficult to reason with, why don't you go be with people because like they- you?
0: Yeah. But then he's not the smartest person in the room. Right. Anymore.
1: Yeah. And, uh, and, and there again, I, you know, I was just telling somebody the other day in church, one of the things that keeps me, uh, from falling into certain traps that comes with experience is that when I meet people in the church who have just quit another church and they've come to my church and they want to dive right in, join committees, you know, help with projects. And, and and it's almost immediate. Like as soon as they get there, they want to be 100% in. And then as I get to know them, I start hearing about how that other church just didn't appreciate them. And how they were mistreated by that church. And they just exactly the way you described Tazel here. Uh-huh. And, and immediately my alarms and bells uh-huh. go off. And it's like, okay, and for that reason, I'm going to ask you to throttle it down. And do not plan on getting deeply involved in this church yet. Mm-hmm. You just need to worship and serve in the most mundane ways. Yeah. Because my guess is, is if I don't invite you in, you're probably going to quit or you're going to hopefully change your life for the better, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that, that might sound arrogant on my part, but it's just experience teaching me that those people created chaos where they were before. And when the people of the church could no longer tolerate their chaos they pushed them out yeah and now they're in my church wanting to create chaos and i'm not going to let them right you know yeah and so i wonder if he thinks he's going to be able to create chaos in heaven i doubt it uh, it seems counterintuitive um
0: i think he thinks he's going to be a star in heaven yeah Finally. There was another guy like that in heaven once. There was another guy like that. He He was a
1: star, like the bright morning star, as I recall.
0: (laughs) And it didn't work out for him. He left. It did not work out
1: well (laughs) for him. So let's look at a scripture here. John 5, 5 to 9. Um, When you... Look at that scripture. What's it say?
0: It says, One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Hmm. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked.
1: Okay. Okay. So why do you think Jesus asked the invalid of 38 years if he really wanted to be healed?
0: Well, I think it's a really significant question because it's a question that could be asked of a lot of people who are not only physically unwell but mentally unwell that need that that need deeper healing than just the outside. Yeah. And
1: emotionally unwell well and for yeah. him
0: to and also for him to have been an invalid for so long i don't know how old the guy was but 38 years is a long time to be an invalid yeah whether that's from the start of his life or something happened at some point
1: and presumably um, 38 years of sitting in that same spot yeah that's kind of unbelievable
0: there's a, i think the reason jesus asks is because there's a good chance that the guy is like uh, at this point whatever I'm, you know, that he's victimized himself basically. And he's because he says like, well, every time I try to get up, somebody goes ahead of me, nobody helps me. But in something in his response tells Jesus that he hasn't self victimized.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And he's ready for, I guess, spiritual healing, not just the healing of his problem because yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I, 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 whenever I read this passage, inevitably I always end up commenting that I prefer the King James version, which is not that you'll hear me say that very often because I'm not one of those King James only people. But in the King James, the question Jesus asks the man is "Wilt thou be made whole? And I like that because it speaks to the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. It isn't just about his body. It's Mm -hmm. about his whole condition. And I think that's a really good way to interpret what Jesus is asking the guy is, is, you know, and, and I think it really, it's, it's funny because I was just talking with some people yesterday about this. Um, and, and I, I told them, I said, look, you, you, one thing you got to realize is that comfort kills. Yeah. Like remember that comfort kills and that's kind of a simplified phrase and it's meant to sound alliterative and easy to remember. But, but what I'm really saying is, is that comfortable people get fat, lazy, lethargic in a physical sense. Comfortable people don't welcome change in their lives. They don't want their religious services to change. They don't want their life to change. They, they want everything to remain the same because they're comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so if I were to put Jesus's question another way, it might simply be, are you really comfortable or are you willing to risk change? And the man seems to be willing to risk change.
0: Well, and our study notes point out that the way the guy responds, Jesus gets a clear indication that the guy does feel pretty trapped at this point point. Mm-hmm. and that, that, that the healing, the physical healing needs to happen so that the spiritual healing can happen in this case because he is feeling really trapped by circumstances. So there's not room for faith and love right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Well, and, and you know, uh, it really is a, a well chosen passage for this particular character. And it reminds me to tell people that, uh, we are using a study guide uh on the great divorce that is written by alan vermilier and that is another one of the brown chair books uh offerings that we've been using in the past and uh we want to honor copyright laws and everything so we're not reading directly from it um we're just sort of treating it like we would if we were in a physical classroom so uh you know, if, if Mr. Vermilier or a Brown Chair books person is listening, we are trying to protect your interests. And we're encouraging people to buy the book. Brown it's a Chair, good book.
0: And Brown Chair produces a lot of really quality they, studies. They have
1: made some great stuff and we want to recommend them to you. So there'll be a link in the description for you. So according to Hebrews 12:1, what would Paul say to someone who has claimed the victim mentality and let self-pity creep into their life? Well, well, what does Hebrews twelve one say?
0: It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us.
1: Yeah. He's sort so of describing. He says,
0: go ahead. Buck up, buttercup. Yeah.
1: He's describing <laughs> what Jesus wants the paralytic to do. Mm-hmm is throw off all this stuff, get up and start running your race. Yeah, Live your life. Persevere. You know, I was talking with uh, another staff person yesterday. We, You know, I I, talk, I interact with our staff all the time, but we've talked quite a bit in the last couple of days because we're trying to sort out how to keep being the church in the midst of all these closings regarding the COVID-19 virus and everything. And so we've talked even more than usual. And And I remember saying, you know, the, the thing is, is that there's human beings who are only being and what we really want to be is human doings, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so this passage is basically a call to be a human doing, not a human being. Human being is comfortable. A human doing is always embracing a little bit of strain and pain and discomfort and mm-hmm. and in the end that makes you a better person. So, the next person we meet is the intelligent ghost. Yes. And, uh, you know, I, do, I dislike the use of the word ghost, but it's also kind of mid-last century common term. They often referred to the Holy Spirit as a ghost then, too, but they didn't really mean it in the way that you think of ghosts. It's really just another word for spirit. Mm-hmm. So... The, the intelligent ghost. Um, what do we learn about the gray town from the intelligent ghost?
0: Yeah. So it's really weird because he talks about how it's, it's kind of an endless town and the inhabitants don't like each other. So what they do is they just keep moving further and further away Yeah. and building Which neighborhoods really, really far out and, so that they don't have like, they can just exist on their own basically. And he talks about, um, like Napoleon. He talks about two guys who decide that they want to trek out to, to Napoleon's house because Napoleon built his house way far away in the gray town. And when they get there, he's just like pacing and they're like, well, this is really boring. (laughs) Yeah. But, but they get out there and, and he's just pacing the house and it's just super far away and it takes them like years to get there. Right because he wants nothing to do with everyone else in the town. So that like they, yeah.
1: Yeah. So what's the correlation, uh, that he draws to the length of time people have been there and their chances of making it to the bus stop.
0: Well, I mean, he says like, they, they're not going to, like if they've been there a long time and they're living way far out, they don't care about going to the bus stop anymore because they've kind of satisfied what they think they need. Mm-hmm. Like, like the, like, cause he also mentions like Julius Caesar and Genghis Khan live way out there and, and they're too far away. They don't care. So. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It is, um, uh it is a sort of analogy that Jack uses to say, you know, the further you get from the need for heaven, the need for God, the more you become completely unaware that God's even there. You know, that that, that uh, people are are so distant from God that they don't know what they're missing, so they don't miss it. They don't miss God. They don't miss, you know, but these are people I believe who don't see nature the same way. They don't, they don't like, like when you get so far from, from having any particular desire for a relationship with something bigger than yourself, then you don't even pay attention to the beautifully intricate construction of every living thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, You don't, I read a quote the other day that I liked, and in fact, I'd used it on Facebook years ago, and it reappeared in one of those Facebook memories thing. And it was that you really don't learn anything about geology till there's an earthquake. True. You know, if you want to see how the rocks are made, if you want to see the various striations and layers in the rock and the various types of rock and, and minerals and everything, you're going to need an earthquake because that's how it's revealed. You know, which means you got to be willing to suffer an earthquake from time to time in order to, uh, to to really understand the nature of the earth, mm-hmm. and and uh, it's a beautiful idea because it goes back to the comfort discomfort thing. So the next question is really more of a personal one. So so you, you can answer it if you want, Bethany. But but this was especially for the folks who are listening to this. That you know, when you think about. Um, your life and you want to decide how much community means to you, how would you rate that on a scale of one to 10? How much does community matter to you? Um, Meaning how important is you to have neighbors and church family and local stores and schools? And, you know, do you want to live in complete isolation? I guess that would make you like a one or do you really crave community to the extent that you get bored and lonely if you're not with people at least a large part of the day and that make you a 10, you know? So where do you think most of our, uh, well, where do you think, where do you see yourself on that? As if I don't know.
0: I'm not a one, not a one. I'm definitely not a 10 though.
1: And I would agree. (laughs) I am not a one and I am not a 10.
0: Um, I think it's really, I think that community is vital, but, like, I used to tell my kids at school when we were talking about personality types and learning about, um, like, we would talk about the Myers-Briggs, so we'd talk about introversion and extroversion, and they would always find it pretty amazing that I would say that, like, when I was home by myself in the evenings, I was fine with that, and other than, like, maybe talking to mom after school. Mm-hmm. I really wouldn't talk again until I got to school the next day. And the kids always thought that was crazy because my job was to talk. Yeah. And I said, yeah, but once I'm done, I'm done. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, um, so I'm, I would say that I'm, I value community, but I'm probably like right down the middle. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: and I'm probably just a little higher than you on that. Um, you know, that's all I'm going to say. I, uh, I find too much community very draining, mm-hmm. and yet I crave community. I just have to pace myself so I don't become too exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, the other part of the question is, is how do you suppose that technology and, and social networking and stuff like that um, has changed that in people's lives? You know, they're creating community, but they're still alone.
0: Yeah, and I think it's probably been good for people like me who are introverts um, to a certain extent because you can feel like you're part of a community and still have that distance that helps you recharge. Yeah. Um, Whereas it's also probably been detrimental for others. Yeah. So I think it just depends on where you fall.
1: Yeah, that's good. Well, how about you, friends at home or wherever you're listening to this? What do you think? You you answer that question and if you're with someone discuss it with them right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because if you need community, you need to find someone to talk to about this question. True. <laughs> and, uh, so according to the intelligent ghost, why do the residents of hell build unreal houses and that don't keep you out of the rain or any kind of danger?
0: Cause they don't need to. Because the Grey Town is just kind of, like, in a perpetual state of medium. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I, I, that's a weird word to use, I guess, but, like, it's always it is it's always middling. Like, mm-hmm. nothing's great, but nothing's so terrible, so they don't need to protect themselves from horrible storms or anything, because... Right. What's the point of doing that? Um, yeah, like it, like, everything's just super average so it's not a big deal
1: so read uh, Matthew 19 to us or summarize it if you want it's a story that regular church people will probably recognize about the rich young ruler
0: Mm -hmm. yeah so it's the one about the rich young ruler who goes to Jesus and wants to know what he has to do to earn eternal life and in his case like, he knows the commandments, he knows the right things to say, but then Jesus says, Well, in your case, you hmm. need to go sell everything and follow me. And the guy's like, Ah, sorry, can't do that.
1: Basically, he's saying, Get out of the gray town, get on the bus, mm-hmm. and join me in heaven.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the gray town people, because are he saying, knows that that guy's stuck. Yeah. Yeah, but I like it here, or at least mm-hmm. I don't hate it here. Exactly, you know. <laughs> I think
0: that's the key. Um, it's not that it's so great; it's it's the comfort thing again. Yep. Like
1: yep. we're good. And and again, that's such an important analogy for Christians because the whole concept of Christianity, and and the nature of Jesus's relationship with with the people that he saves, is that you would no longer call this earth and this life your home; that you would take him as your home and you would find your way home and want to be with him for all eternity, which means that you're never going to like this, that this place isn't going to feel safe. I mean, if there's one thing I can say is I'm feeling it right now. It's been a stressful morning Mm -hmm. because I've had to provide leadership to my congregation regarding our worship and this time of churches being closed and things like that, and and it's been very stressful. And, And one of the things that comforts me is being able to say, but this isn't my home Mm -hmm. and I shouldn't like it here. I should prefer paradise with Jesus Mm -hmm. and you know, his leadership of the earth one day. I, that should be my desire. Mm -hmm. So how about the fat, clean shaven man? He thought the intelligent ghosts materialism would take the souls of the gray town in the wrong direction. So what did he believe would be their best option to open up their creative functions?
0: Yeah, he thinks that they need to, like, get out of their bodies. And out. he's kind of... He he thinks that, like, the, the ghost, the intelligent ghost, he thinks that it's, like, all superstition and, mm-hmm. like, that none of that matters and that he thinks it's already like that. The gray town is a good place to be because it's already becoming what he thinks would be better. Like I,
1: I hesitate to use this term, but the, the clean shaven man sounds like today's, ultra liberal so-called christian in you know in other words th- that is a person who understands to a degree what it means to be a bible literate christian and yet interprets everything from a purely humanistic point of view and that means that they're willing to say that uh doesn't matter whether you call god Allah or whether you call God God it doesn't matter whether you worship the Buddha or whether you worship Jesus that it's all basically the same in the end you know that so he's he's a, a very humanistic altruist who mm-hmm. wants to have a uh, universal religion and it, it, it you know what he is he's sort of a Unitarian Universalist He sort of comes off like a Unitarian Universalist, uh, which I'm not criticizing. It's just that would be a good definition of him. And and so he would rather think of the gray town as something that is gradually evolving into heaven than to think that it's never going to be heaven because it's not, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know. And and I think that's how I interpret Mm it. I
0: think that's accurate.
1: Well, I appreciate your approval.
0: You're welcome. So, what
1: did the light of heaven reveal about all the passengers?
0: Oh yeah, he looks around and they're like. He's kind of disturbed because all their faces are like, gaunt and kind of creepy looking, almost like just they they look, like he says they look fierce. Yeah. And so yeah, the light of heaven kind of all of a sudden reveals. Everybody's true face, their true nature.
1: And what I pictured in my mind is uh, in, in movies and TV, especially a few years ago, if they wanted to make a pretty healthy person look sick, they very creatively drew lines and added gray things to their face. So they, so basically they looked like healthy people, but they made them look sick by putting circles under their eyes and drawing lines in the creases of their face and everything. And and so, so I remember watching a movie years ago that was really, well, I'll tell you what, it's so controversial now, I don't know that they'll ever put it on again, but back in the early 80s, I think it was, maybe late 70s, there were... Two sets of miniseries based on Herman Woke's books. Um, one of them was The Winds of War, and the other one was—I can't remember which is which—but they were about World War II. And the one that they did that really, really un- unpacked the Nazi atrocities to the Jews mm-hmm. and and all of their enemies. Uh, John Rice Davies played a Jew in a concentration camp and John Rice Davies in those days was pretty chunky monkey. He's He's, lost a ton of weight. Well,
0: and he's just a big guy. too. Yeah.
1: He's a big man, but he's lost a gob of weight and he looks really great today. But back in those days, he had a pretty big belly on him and they're doing everything they can with makeup and prosthetics to make him look like an emaciated Jew, but you can't hide that. Now go with me on this because when I picture the, the fat man, who's who's a universalist i picture a guy who is big just like he's being described but when the light shines on his face he looks like john rice davies being made up to look like an emaciated concentration camp survivor you know yeah and 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 i believe me by the way if you get a chance to watch these movies or these miniseries um well they'll shock you and they'll be very difficult to watch You'll never forget watching them, but they're good. They're really good. Um, So that's all I want to say about that. According to 1 Corinthians 3.12, how will your faith become sight when you see Jesus?
0: Well, it says, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known.
1: There you go. We don't realize how incomplete we are until we are born again into the spirit. Well, we did it. We finished chapter two and two episode three. And uh, I think we had a really good discussion here. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll put this one up right away because we're behind. And then we're going to go ahead and record some more um, while we have this day to do it because of the way life's been going. So um, we'll be... Scheduling those out so that you listeners can get those every week like we had been doing. And uh, we would just really like to thank you for listening. You honor us, believe me, by giving this your attention. And uh, we hope this feeds you, especially when you're self-quarantining. You know, mm-hmm. um, if you are are hole up somewhere trying to help our society ride out the storm of a, a pandemic, well, then let this feed you. Because thanks to this amazing internet we have, we can remain community Mm -hmm. despite having to separate from each other physically for a time. So with that in mind, I just pray God's blessings upon you and yours. And I hope that this finds you well wherever you are. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, if you want to know more about us in Shiloh, you can just visit uh, shilohjasper.org. Shiloh Jasper is all one word, Shiloh Jasper dot org s-h-i-l-o-h-j-a-s-p-e-r dot and you can also pick up our app at the app store just look for shiloh jasper in the app store and you'll be all set so until next time god bless you and goodbye
0: bye